We've been so desensitized by the world standard that we have slowly but surely allowed the enemy to walk straight into our homes, straight into our bedrooms, and tell us how to live our lives. We have sacrificed God's original standard for selfishness, for comfort, for convenience, and for practical reasons. We excuse fornication and sexual immorality, and we even praise people on social media when they have children out of wedlock. I know I'm stepping on toes, but I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what the standard of the world is versus the standard of God. Do not be fooled, do not be deceived. Yes, the birth of a child is a wonderful thing, obviously, but when the parents have selfishly opted to bring that child into the world outside of God's standards, they are willingly letting that child come into the world on a back foot. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online, and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. So those who have joined us for the first time, or for those of you who haven't been here in a while, or for those of you who, like me, forget easily, I want to remind you what we are busy with. We are busy talking about how our biblical foundations should impact important aspects of our lives, all right? We have talked about very, very important biblical foundations and how important it is for us to not only know what they are, but to have a deep revelation of what it implies for our lives, okay? So I want to start off today. We have spoken now about in our impact series, we've spoken about how does our foundations impact our identity. We've spoken about how it impacts our purpose. And now we're going to talk about how it should impact the way we see and do marriage. All right? On that note, I haven't said this specifically, but we do have Kids Church today, led by Shanae on the other side. Have they gone already? Those who want to. If any children have not gone and they want to, you can go next door. Shanae will be presenting something there. Uh, okay, sorry about the interruption. All right, so I want to show you briefly how our foundations are connected to, to how we see marriage. And then I'm going to talk to you about God's original standard for marriage and compare it to the world standard of marriage. And I hope, my, my, my hope is today that those of us who, to any extent, still don't believe or have a full grasp of what God's original standard is for marriage will make a shift in their thoughts and their approach. Okay. So, we're going to go through these points quickly. How does repentance as a foundation impact my marriage, my view on marriage? As an unbeliever... I had a secular worldview of marriage. Maybe I didn't believe it or believe in it and just saw it as a contract with another human. But when I repent, I turn away from the old way of thinking about marriage 
and I turn to God and what He says about marriage. And then I realize it's a covenant relationship with one of His children that has a purpose to serve the kingdom of God. All right? How does salvation impact the way we see marriage? If I'm saved by grace through faith and I'm now a child of God, knowing I'm a son or a daughter of God through adoption, I can know what my worth is and my purpose, and I will seek a spouse that God shows me and that lines up with who I am and why I am here. How does faith impact marriage? By faith, I will marry the person God shows me to marry. What a great idea. When God gives me a word of that person, then I have substance, Hebrews 11.1. 1. You'll remember that from when we spoke on faith. If you haven't, go and listen to it. And by faith, I will stay with that person if God gave me a word through, what, through thick and thin and all the stuff we promise. Lordship and obedience impacts the way we see marriage because together with my spouse, we make God the third and most important party of our marriage. We both humbly submit to His will and ways, and whenever we get stuck, we turn to Him. Water baptism. My old person is washed away, and my new transformed person can now step into marriage knowing that I am whole in God. We're going to get into that more later. Holy Spirit baptism. When I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized with the Holy Spirit, I now have access to the power of the Holy Spirit, and I'm led by Him, and therefore I can be a better spouse. And also the fruit of the Spirit should be on my life. How many of you guys would love to be married to someone who has all the fruit of the Spirit all the time? See? Spiritual family. How does it impact marriage? We should know as a married couple that spiritual family begins at home. That our marriage is our children's first place, first point of contact with a spiritual walk. And that that Home should be connected to a local church because that's how God works. And then finally, discipleship. The husband and father should be the main discipling influence on the wife and the children's lives, working in conjunction with their local church leaders. All right. Does that make sense? All eight of those? All right. We could stop just there, but I'm not going to. Because I haven't read many scriptures yet. So... <laughs> All right, so the message is called today, The Original Standard. When I was praying about how do we share this, my wife and I have done uh, marriage courses a few times. We, during lockdown last year, we did two online marriage courses, and we, we just saw that there's such a need for people to know how to do marriage God's way. And many times there's, there's so many things standing in the way of them seeing it that way. And I was thinking, how do I... <laughs> How do we summarize, you know, 10 weeks of marriage seminars into a sermon? And the short answer is, you can't. So, but what I felt God say is, we need to have a new uh, eye-opening experience of what His original standard of marriage is and still is and always will be. It has not changed. And how we've allowed maybe ourselves to be influenced by how the world sees it, Okay. All right, so I want to start off by telling you a bit of a story. Um, my father lives in Betty's Bay, and he has a lawn in the backyard. It's not a very big lawn, but it's a very pretty lawn. It's green. It's lush. It looks amazing. 
I'm very jealous of his lawn. When we renovated our house we're living in now, one of my biggest dreams was to have a wonderful piece of lawn. I mean, I, I fought for that piece of lawn, and I wanted it. And at the moment, it's a mess. It looks terrible. It, we, it was terrible once, and then we fixed it, and then, you know, we tried to keep it going, and it just didn't. It now looks like a four-year-old got a hold of clippers on an old man's head. That's how it looks. And then we had a mole that just destroyed it, and the dog tried to catch the mole and made it worse. So it looks, it looks horrific at the moment. And I look at my dad's lawn, and I look at mine, and I'm like, I want that. I want that lawn. It looks amazing. But what's the difference between me and my dad when it comes to our lawns? My dad tends to his lawn himself. He takes care of it. He's in there as much as he can, and he takes care of it. I want to do the work once, and then I hope it just stays like that with minimal effort from my side. We, my dad and I both want a great lawn. But only one of us has a great lawn. It's because he tends to his lawn. Isn't this how many people approach marriage? I want to have a great marriage. I want it to look like that marriage or that marriage or that, that Instagram marriage looks really nice. I want that one. But when you walk a mile in those people's shoes, you will realize why their marriage looks the way it does. Firstly, it may not actually be the way it looks. <laughs> but if it is a healthy, great marriage, there's a reason why. They are tending to their marriage. All right. We all have what we would call standards in life for things, right? You, have, you like doing different things in life a certain way. You've got standards. Some people say, I have high standards. Some people just say, you know, I have high standards. And other people with high standards look at that and go, no, you don't have high standards. <laughs> so we all have a, a subjective way of looking at standards, right? And it's, it's from the sublime to the ridiculous. So there, there are things that, that are less important in life, but that can cause big fights, you know, because we have different standards. For example, how to place the toilet roll in the bathroom. We have a little picture to show you. And I did some research, and I can tell you honestly that the top one, which is the one I prefer, is the right one. It has been scientifically proved to be the right one by a university. They actually did testing. They say that this one is the best one because it's the least amount of touching involved, where it's the most hygienic way. The bottom one, that, is, that should anger any normal person. If you ever come to a toilet and that has happened, because I, I, know, I know it's really hard to take off the little, you know, carton holder thingy and then replace it. It takes like five seconds of your life. And I know that's horrible. But seriously, people, we need you to focus. Get higher standards. Anyway, so that, that's obviously just a little light moment of how we all have different standards. My wife and I have had fights about that, the, the toilet roll. And the, how do you press the, you know, the, the toothpaste from the back, from the middle, you have these weird standards, right? Okay. Then there are obviously a bit standards that are a bit more important. Like if you need brain surgery, would you go to a neurosurgeon that is not qualified or got 60% on his final exam? 
Probably not. Because it are my brain. I don't want you touching it if you just have, you know, you're a GP. Yeah? All right. And then to the more important things in life, like how do we do family? How do I do marriage? How do I approach these things? I, I will approach it from a place of what is my standard? What are the principles that I want to do this by? Heaven has a standard. It started out, it remains, it will not change. Heaven has a standard. A standard of life in line with God's original design. The world has a standard. A standard of life in line with God's enemy, Satan. Each of us need to choose which standard we will follow. We either have a biblical worldview on marriage or we have a secular worldview on marriage. Sadly, I believe many cultural Christians, when I say cultural Christians, I mean people that grew up in a sort of Christian Judeo cultural setup. They know there's a God and the Son is Jesus and they've read some Bible stories, they go to church, but they don't have a relationship with God. They are probably not born again, probably not baptized and, and spirit baptized, walking in the fullness of what God has for them. That's what I mean by cultural Christian. So many cultural Christians, and I've seen this with my own eyes, they have allowed the world standard to creep into their standard. All right? Can you agree? Anyone? We're going to look at some statistics that show the fruit of doing marriage and family the world's way. And then we're going to look at what is God's original plan from the Word of God. What did God put in place and is still in place for marriage and family? All right, so by a show of hands, how many of you think that overall marriages and families are healthy, functional, and that most people grow up in happy homes? Who thinks that? Anyone? For those online, no one's hands are going up. No hands. Okay, so we all know to a level that it's not going well. Okay, just in case you still don't believe me, I want you to listen to these stats. Four out of every 10 marriages in SA ends in divorce. That's almost 50% people. I went to look at the stats. Two, uh, in 2018, about 25,000 people got married in South Africa in the normal way, not the, not the civil ones. And almost the exact same amount of divorces was, was taken, also saw, seen in that year. When you look at the marriage rate and the divorce rate, it is shocking. And the sad thing is, it doesn't look much different within the church community. That's why I'm saying we've been influenced by the world standard. According to a website, marriage.com, the top 10 reasons for divorce that's based on their research are infidelity, finances, lack of communication, constant arguing, weight gain, unrealistic expectations, lack of intimacy, lack of equality, being unprepared for marriage, and of course, physical and emotional abuse. This is marriage.com, so it's a bit more of an international look at it. 
In 2012, there was a News24 article that they did research in South Africa for the top reasons why people get divorced in South Africa. And they, they took 500 divorce cases, and these were the, the top things that came through. So this is now essay. First one, lack of communication. Second one, physical, psychological, financial, or emotional abuse. I don't even know there was such a thing as financial abuse. Slap them with money, I don't know. It's, sorry, I shouldn't joke about it. That's a serious matter. It's, I think it's when you use money to manipulate people. Thirdly, infidelity. Fourth, social networking, social networks. People spending so much time on social networks, they lose their partner. Yes. It's probably worse now. They actually still had mix it there on the list. Yeah. Fifth one, fifth one is addiction. The sixth one is sexual incompatibility. Seven is finances. Eight is parental responsibilities. The one feels they're doing everything, the other one doesn't care, that kind of thing. Religious differences is number nine. And the last one is different priorities. Psychologists, family law practitioners, and other secular sources actually note over and over again that divorce and a dysfunctional home environment leads to all kinds of serious mental and emotional baggage. And they are in agreement that the ideal is for marriages to stay whole and for healthy and healthy so that children can grow up in a healthy home environment. The world says this. But the world doesn't set up the standard to achieve this. But they know it's true. Why? Because it's in line with God's word. The world just doesn't know how to establish this. All right. That is marriage stats. Fatherlessness. Over 60% of children in South Africa grow up without a father. Physically in the home. No dad. In 2016-17, the stats showed that only 38% um, of children, their birth certificates listed a father. Yeah, that is no dad physically in the home. And among the black community in South Africa, that statistic jump up, jumps up to 70%. There are other forms of fatherless, of course, we know. Neglect, abuse, all the things we read that can go wrong in a marriage has an impact, obviously, on children as well. Fatherlessness has been proven to be the root cause of pretty much all the major social and socioeconomic problems we have in this world. Please show them the slide. You can nominate a problem and it'll be there. 63% of suicides come from homes with no father. 75, uh, what is that? When you're institu 70% of people in institutions come from fatherless homes. That is just one source of how these things are connected. Show the next one, please. More likely to have drug abuse. More likely to have infant mortality. More likely to face abuse and neglect. More likely to have behavioral problems. To become pregnant as a teen. To go to prison. To suffer obesity. To commit a crime. To drop out of school. These things are all connected to fatherlessness through statistical science. Not making it up. There are links to this. Why am I speaking about fatherlessness when I'm actually talking about marriage? You may be asking yourself. Well, because a husband typically comes 
becomes a father. A husband becomes a father typically. And if there's no marriage and there's no husband, there's a greater chance that this unattached person who fathered a child won't stick around to actually father the child. I went and looked at how the, how the world literally defines marriage. So secular standard. This is the definition of marriage. A legal union of a couple as spouses. The basic elements of a marriage are the party's legal ability to marry each other, mutual consent of the parties, and a marriage contract as required by law. Here's another one. A legal union between two persons that confers certain privileges and entails certain obligations of each person in to the other. In other words, I give, but I also want to get. So the world standard of marriage is a legally binding contract, an agreement between both parties that enter into 50-50, a commitment to give something to get something. And that's exactly what ends up happening. Divorce is then, in essence, the cancelling of a contract. That's really what you try to get. I want to cancel this contract. I'm, I'm not getting what I signed up for anymore. Have you ever heard people say that? This is not what I signed up for. And they talk about their marriage. Signed up for. It's a way of looking at it that the, the same way the world looks at it. But emotions and identities are involved in a marriage, even if people try to look at it as a contract, it's a mess, and it gets very messy. And it has an impact and consequences for the next generation. Can anyone tell me how the world, in general, prepares children for marriage? What's the concerted effort the world is making to teach children about marriage? Do you think the the average parent is intentionally preparing and training their children to understand their worth and what marriage is all about. The average person, average parent. Or do you think they have perhaps abdicated their responsibility to schools and religious organizations? I think so too. What is being portrayed on TV series, movies, music, the lyrics of music, the videos of music videos, ugh, the, the videos of music, what is it doing? Does it stir and move people to wait for their lifelong partner? Does it inspire them to live pure and holy lives? Does it set a strong moral compass for what is right and wrong? No, none of these. On the contrary, it's actually setting people up for failure. It paints a picture of fun and freedom outside of marriage with whomever, whenever you want, and that the focus is all on the moment, tonight. It's never about the next morning. We also make scathing jokes about getting married at weddings. I've been to, to weddings where the guy doing the speeches have these horrible jokes, and everyone's laughing, but what they're actually doing is showing what, how little they think of being married, referring to women like they're a ball and chain. And my old man, when he's not even old. We disrespect the bride and groom with tasteless humor and we allow weak foundations to be the platform from which we try and build a good marriage. We are failing before we even began. And then we wonder why. We've been convinced sub subliminally that the maths of marriage is that two half people 
make a whole person. And we even introduce people, you would introduce someone like, hey, here's my other half. This is my other half. This is my better half. We say that, right? All right, what are you actually implying? I'm a half-formed human being. I cannot function unless I'm with this other half-formed human being. And you're actually right. If you are not born again, knowing your identity and worth, having your foundations in place, you are probably right. So my wife and I try to explain this to people when we do the marriage course as well. What does most people do in the world? They're looking for someone that makes them feel better about themselves. Someone that makes you feel those butterflies and make you warm and you feel at home with them. You can talk with them for hours. And all that chemistry stuff is there. You're looking for it and you want it and it's great. But what you're actually trying to do is that that thing that is missing inside of you that only God can fill, you are trying to have another person fill that gap in you. And you are fooled and you don't even know it. So yes, you are half a person linking up with another half a person. And what happens? You have a parasitical relationship. Each one trying to suck the life out of the other one. And then after a while, you wake up and go, I don't love you anymore. But I want to put it to you, you never loved that person in the first place. It wasn't love. This worldly standard has sadly infiltrated the church as well in general. Many churches and church leaders turn a blind eye to young people living together before marriage. Some even encourage it. I've, I've heard people say, I, I went to my spiritual leader. I said, we are doing this. And he told me, yeah, it's more practical. We've been so desensitized by the world standard that we have slowly but surely allowed the enemy to walk straight into our homes, straight into our bedrooms, and tell us how to live our lives. We have sacrificed God's original standard for selfishness, for comfort, for convenience, and for practical reasons. We excuse fornication and sexual immorality. And we even praise people on social media when they have children out of wedlock. I know I'm stepping on toes, but I'm not giving you my opinion. I'm telling you what the standard of the world is versus the standard of God. Do not be fooled. Do not be deceived. Yes, the birth of a child is a wonderful thing, obviously. But when the parents have selfishly opted to bring that child into the world out of, outside of God's standards, they are willingly letting that child come into the world on a back foot. It's a choice they are making for their own comfort and convenience. Why? Because I want an option out. Is anyone uncomfortable yet? Good. I'm not saying anything like this to judge or to make us feel bad. It's not about bringing condemnation. It's about bringing conviction. I'm, I am trying to lovingly share the truth with you in order to help you reach a place of conviction that will help you to repent and turn to God's ways. And I'm doing it unashamedly. Does anyone remember this book? It's called the Bible. It's called the Word of God. In, one, in John 1, we read that Jesus is the Word. And He was the Word from the beginning. 
So here's my question to all of us. Do you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and that through Him you are saved to have an eternal life? If that, is that you? Raise your hand. Have you given your life to Jesus? Yes. Okay. Then this book is the original standard that you should live by. Are we in agreement? It's not about opinion. It's not about feelings. It's not about your life experience. It's about what this book says. When I say that, I am not saying that your feelings and experiences are not relevant. And I'm not saying we can't talk about it. Of course, they are real and they happened. But it shouldn't be the guiding, deciding factor in how you live life. Does it make sense? Okay. So let's look at what God says. What is his, was his original plan and is his original plan for marriage? So we're going to read some scripture now. I don't have a lot of scriptures, but I have long pieces of scripture. Because I want to show you, after I've now shown you the world standard, I want to show you the biblical standard. So we're going to turn to Genesis 1 from verse 26 to 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image. Why is it us? Because it's the Trinity together saying, let us. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Pint, period. Then God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish, over the birds, and every creeping thing. Let's jump to Genesis 2, 7 to 8, and then 15 to 18, and then 21 to 25. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. We saw first that he created him in his own image. What, what is God? He is spirit. He created man in his own image, to his own likeness. Spirit. Now he says he formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. The Lord planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend, like my dad, and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then God, the Lord said, It is not good that man should be alone. Do you hear that? It is not good that man should be alone. God knows this. He wants us to have a life partner. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. 
Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. We're going to jump to the New Testament now. We normally read the part that speaks directly to, it starts with the wives and the husbands. But today I feel it's very important for us to actually read that whole thing in context. Because Paul is actually setting up the whole church community. And it's like he ends off speaking to the married people. And he is all the things he says before that is also important. And it's actually culminated in what he instructs the man and the woman in a marriage to do. So I want you to, I know it's a long piece, but I want you to focus and concentrate. It's easy for us to lie in a bed and concentrate for an hour and a half on a movie. But it's hard for us to concentrate on this word of God. But which one is more important? Let's concentrate. Amen. Let's concentrate. Ephesians 5 verse 1 to 11. Imitate God, therefore, in some things that you, oh no, wait, in everything that you do, wow, because you are his dear children, because we are his children, let's do everything his way, live a life, now he's telling us how that looks, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, what is love, the way Christ loves, how did he love, laying down his life, serving, he loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk, and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral impure or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of God, of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins, for the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in these things people do, for once you were full of darkness, but now in Christ, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil in darkness. Instead, expose them. We're going to pick it up in verse 15. So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools. As if you're straight, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise, make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. This was written approximately 2,000 years ago. Their days were already evil. What do you think Paul will say about our days? Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. 
Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts, and give thanks to everything, for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, now, you have to really focus. If you've tuned out already, come back to me. Come back to me. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Why am I submitting? Because I love Jesus. Because I respect Him, revere Him, and fear Him. I will submit to my brother, my sister in Christ. What does it say straight after this? This is normally where we pick it up. Straight after Paul instructs the whole church to submit to one another, it says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. This is the New Living Translation. In the New King, ja- in the New King James, it says, wives, submit to your, to your own husband. In the New Living, it starts with, it's, it's actually explaining it a bit better. It's following the thought, saying, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. The world hates this sentence. Many females hate this sentence because they don't understand why it is like this. If they really knew, they wouldn't get upset. Because I'm going to get into that. For a husband is the head of his wife and Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body, the church. As the church submits to Christ... So you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united in one. This is referencing what we just read in Genesis. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So what is Paul saying? I'm actually talking about Jesus and the church, but each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Love, respect. Okay, we're going to talk about covenant versus contract. We saw earlier that the world standard for marriage is a contract. But from Scripture, we can see that God's standard is a deeply spiritual covenant relationship. Contract is 50-50. I give to get. I will give this much, but I want this much. Covenant is I give everything. Bunt. I give. I don't want anything back. I'm not expecting anything back. 
I am dying in my needs and my wants. And I'm stepping into this relationship 100%. How is this possible? Because if I've really stepped into covenant with God, I've already done it. It should be easier then to step into marriage knowing what covenant with God is. Okay. It's not give to get. It's giving and serving sacrificially from a secure place of knowing who I am in Jesus. And then my spouse is my partner for life, ordained by God. There is a leaving the parents' home, leaving the parents' home. Parents, can I get an amen? And cleaving to the spouse. And the two are united into one. So the world's idea of maths we saw is I'm a half person. I meet another half person that makes me feel all nice. And then we do this. And then after a while we go, eh, I don't love you anymore. God's idea of maths is not half plus half equals one. His idea of marriage is one plus one is one. One whole person in me I have covenant love relationship with that person. I then guide them and show them this is the one that I would like you to marry because I have a plan for you too and for your children. And I know you've been praying for that person. And then because you are whole in me and because she or he is whole in me, this is going to work. It takes us right back to our first foundations, truly repenting, getting saved, making Jesus my Savior and Lord of my life. What does repentance and salvation do? It fills that God-shaped hole in you that you think or used to think a human being can fill, but can never fill. Hollywood is lying to you. Netflix is lying to you. Don't fall for the lies. The only way we can transform, be a new creation, is in Jesus. Because what, what, then we become citizens of heaven. And we gain access to supernatural power that is needed to love my sp spouse and all other people with the love of Jesus. That love is unconditional, sacrificial, relentless, and life-changing. None of us can love the way we are expected to love if we are not in relationship with God. It is physically impossible. You may be able to keep it up for a while out of self-discipline and self-strength, but it's going to fade. The only way we can love our spouses the way God loves us is when we are in relationship with Him and His love flows through us to our spouse. Amen? No human can give this to another human. It may feel like it for a while, but that is just infatuation. What you call or may call being in love is not love. It is a combination of fantasy, infatuation, and lust. That's, that's what it is. Don't be fooled. If you're in it to get, it is not love. When the butterflies leave and you don't get from each other what you signed up for in the first place, you then feel out of love but you never really loved in the first place. God is love. Can I get an amen? The Word of God teaches that. Only His love flowing through us 
to our spouse and our children and the people around us is love. And the only way we can access it is through salvation and a life dedicated to Him. From Ephesians, we see the standard of God's love. For a wife, it is to humbly submit to her husband. For her to be able to do that, she needs to be secure in who she is in God and understand and believe in God's order for the home. A woman that resists this is resisting God. That went quiet. That's why a woman can only do this if she is truly born again. Because a born again person will submit to the word of God. And Jesus says, John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is a commandment. Wives, submit to your husband. I can only do that if I am born again. So I first submit to God and then also the Holy Spirit gives me the strength to do it God's way. Can you see that? God is not telling us to do the impossible. He's setting His standard and then showing us how to get there with His help. That's a good word right there. I didn't write that down. That just happened. The husband can only love like Jesus, laying down his life, sacrificing, serving, and loving unconditionally if he's truly born again and Holy Spirit filled. Because he and she both need the power from God to stand in their roles. It takes supernatural strength to be and live like this. Who knows that? <laughs> Who has tried this their own way and it failed miserably? I have. At the end of Ephesians, we see, let the husband love the wife and the wife respect the husband. Men, will you agree with me that the greatest need you have is for your wife to make you, for, is for you to know and feel that your wife respects you? Anyone? I know it is for me. I would, when I was younger, I didn't really get it. The way I started getting is when I felt disrespected, I was like, whoa. <laughs> What is happening here? Some red flag came up in me. I'm like, woo, I'm, I don't like this. And I realized, well, the good side of that is when I do feel respected, I feel like I can change the world. Amen? For the, for the ladies, your greatest need is to feel loved. That love is not a, I cook for my blomikis and chikis. It's not about the, 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 it's a romantic stuff. It's knowing that he is there. And he's not going anywhere. And that he loves me unconditionally. And that, and that um, I'm secure and safe in this relationship. Can the ladies agree? All right. Took me a while to learn that. Men, the truth most of us don't want to hear is that the so-called buck stops with us. By God's original standard, by his original design, we are the head of the marriage and the head of the home. And that sounds great and glamorous when you think it's a place from which you can manipulate and get what you want. But it's overwhelming when you realize what a great responsibility it is. Our wives are our very important helper. Originally, according to the ancient Hebrew word, that word helper actually means military aid. Men, we set the atmosphere in the home. It's up to us. If we are born again, Holy Spirit-filled, living for God, 
we will know that we are seated in heavenly places and will therefore bring heaven home. Cassie Carson's from World Needs a Father. He preaches this very well. It's, he says, you want to know what a man should do? Bring heaven home. That's your role. You can't bring something you don't have. That's stealing. No, that's not even stealing. That's just, it doesn't work. So, will your wife respect you if you don't love her? If she's a mature Christian, she may find supernatural strength to keep on respecting you even though she doesn't feel loved. But for the average woman, if she's not loved by her husband, she will stop respecting her husband. But if she feels love, she will automatically respond by having respect for her husband. So let's not be men who wait for our wives to one day suddenly start respecting us before we will decide to love them. Let us not be men who lay down Sorry, let us not be men who only lay down our lives for our wives when we think they are submitting to us. It doesn't start with the wives. It starts with the husbands. That is God's original design. We live in a world where men have become cowards in the sense of they don't want to take responsibility. They don't want to walk in what God has ordained. They want all the fun and the good, and what makes them feel good and right, but they don't want to put in the work. They are not tending to their lawns. The big question is, after we've done all of this, do you believe what the Word of God says? Can you see the vast difference between the world standard and God's standard? Can you see it? All right. It's crazy to think that Satan has gained so much ground and has lied to so many people. We're going to take a moment to reflect and respond to God's word today. I want to invite each and every one of you to please connect with the Holy Spirit right now. Ask Holy Spirit to show you in what way you may believe and apply the world standard to your marriage and the way you think of your future marriage. If you're engaged or planning on getting married and you're living and sleeping together, I want to lovingly lovingly invite you to repent and make right. Because it's not God's plan for you. And you're building on a faulty foundation by doing it your way. Don't do it your way. Do it God's way. This is the moment where we can all come and we can fix what is broken. We can humbly submit to God and say I'm sorry for allowing the world standard to creep in even a little in my thinking and in my doing and I want to come back to a place where I align fully and completely with your way of doing marriage if you see the signs of any of the reasons that I mentioned earlier of why people are getting divorced, if you see any of those signs in your marriage, I want to ask that you will take this moment to lay those things down before God and ask for His divine power and truth to come into your life and into your marriage 
admit whatever part you play in where it has ended up. If you have been wrong, if you have been feeding that thing in any way, whether you are the husband or the wife, humbly repent. Ask forgiveness. I even want, to, I want the couples to ask each other forgiveness. Say to each other, I'm sorry that I've done this, that I've done that. Forgive me. Let's build right from now on going forward. Don't play the blame game. The Bible says make sure that there's not a big log in your eye before you look for the splinter in someone else's eye. It's very important in marriage. Before we start pointing fingers and blaming, let us take a moment and say, Lord, search me and know me. Is there any wicked way in me? And help me. Fighting, bickering, pointing out the other one's faults is never going to get you to a place of a healthy marriage. Okay, so let us stand. Let us focus on Jesus. I'm going to give us all a moment to just close our eyes and ask Holy Spirit to speak to us. Our lives are constantly bombarded with lies from the enemy trying to derail us. But there's a standard, God's standard. There's a truth, God's truth. It sets free, it empowers, it strengthens, and it keeps you on the right path. The lies will bring bad fruit. The truth will bring good fruit. Take a moment. Be honest with yourself. What fruit that is bad is on your life right now that can be shifted to the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Are you loving? Are you kind? Are you gentle? Are you suffering long? Do you have self-discipline? If you don't, it's okay. Bring it to God. Repent and say, help me. And once again, the supernatural strength of Holy Spirit is what helps us to live on God's standard. We cannot live on God's standard in our own strength. It is not possible. So this is an invitation. Mark Heisquin, clean house. And say, not my will be done, but your will be done. Once we are done with this moment, I want to encourage you seriously, if you are already married or if you are engaged and ready to jump into this, whatever you experience right now, afterwards today, make a moment to share it with your spouse. Be vulnerable, be humble, be real. And then forgive each other. Okay. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that right now you will show all of us in what way have we allowed the world standard to creep into our marriages, into our relationship. I pray that you will reveal the lie. We choose to repent of that, believing and living that lie. And we choose to follow your truth and your standard.
Help us, Holy Spirit, to live through you in God's standard. Just take a moment and let God speak to you. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.